Today's program has been brought to you by Le Creuset. Visit Le Creuset for cast iron and stainless cookware, bakeware, pots, pans, and kitchen and bar tools. For more information, visit www.lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Sharp and hot with your family. Sharp and hot with your family. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, coming to you on heritageradionetwork.org, live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode number 13. I hope everyone had a fantastic and relaxing and delicious Thanksgiving. I also want to give a shout out to Roberta's Pizza. USA Today did a breakdown of the top 10 pizza restaurants in the United States, and Roberta's was listed as number six, which is very exciting. In the studio with me today is a very special guest, action architect and superhero of mine, Elizabeth Streb, founder of Streb Lab for Action Mechanics, also called SLAM. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, I saw the most recent show that is happening at SLAM a few weeks ago after having seen my first Streb performance back in 1988 or 1999 when I was an undergraduate at SUNY Purchase, and my goal in talking to you today is not to sound like super fan number one, <laughs> which I am. So I'll just say at the top of the show, I'm a huge fan. I have no journalistic integrity whatsoever. Um, I love what you do. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> so people were asking me um, what I was going to do for my birthday, and I said I was going to see your show, and I was disc- and people were like, oh, what is that? And I was like, it's like crazy circus dance. Like I don't know. Like People throw their bodies up against things and fall off the ceiling. And my husband had never seen the show before, and afterwards he said that I really shouldn't use the word dance at all, that it's kind of misleading wow. um, to describe what you do. And so, so I've been sort of meditating on how you do what you do, and your dancers um, sort of physically personifies my life philosophy, which I have distilled down to gracefully fearless. Wow. And I just thought of another one while we were talking, and then I instantly forgot it. Oh, which is dangerously whimsical. <laughs> those you know, are gorgeous. Well, like the, you know, yeah. like you need elevator pitches, right? Yeah, so, like, right, those right, are the right. two things. And so, your dancers, or you, may be jumping off of, you know, a bridge spanning the Thames, but you're, and you're doing it, like, totally fearlessly, and yet it's so beautiful and elegant and whimsical, and I love that tension, so... Thank you so much, Emily. So, okay. So now we got my super fan. Like, it's it's obvious. It's out there. Um, But you're here because the show Forces is being performed until December 22nd. And if people want to get tickets, they're still available. Yes. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, And then when I came to see the show, I came up to you afterwards and I said, hey, do you want to be on my radio show? And you said, sure. Sure. (laughs) Which is how I get most of my guests. And then you said something that I don't think uh, many people know about you, which is, oh, that's perfect because I used to be a chef. That's true. I didn't see that anywhere in your biography, and oh, I scoured didn't? the internet. So tell me about it. Oh, well, um, every artist, when they come to a city in San Francisco, I went there first. I drove my motorcycle, my Honda 350, out to... From New York? Out from Rochester, New York, okay. where I was born, and went to school at SUNY Broadport. Um, anyway, I, I took my Easy Rider bike ride to New Orleans, then west, then to San Francisco, and I needed a job, and it, I landed at Met Superior Donuts, where... 
Janis Joplin bought her donuts. Awesome. And, uh, <laughs> another you know, superhero. Another, another superhero. <laughs> and I wormed my way. I was just packing donuts in the middle of the night before I'd go to class in the morning, ballet, modern, and then coming back to pack donuts. And I, I wormed my way into the heart of the baker in the back. And he allowed me to help him bake. So I considered myself, you know, uh, a cook. And I could read recipes. Anyway, long story short, when I got to New York City, I just went around the West Village and went to every restaurant that had chef wanted, cook wanted. And I walked in and said I was a cook and I could do it. And clearly I, I wasn't trained as a cook or a chef, but I knew if I could read recipes and be fast that it would work out. Yeah, <laughs> being fast and like... <laughs> Being nice and staying, knowing when to stay out of the way will take you a long way. <laughs> it does, it does, it does. But what's so interesting is, is just the idea of rhythm. Mm-hmm. And to me, the rhythm of cooking, which you know so well, I'm sure, is everything. Like how long does it take a chicken breast to cook? How long pot for pasta? What about the uh, grilled meat? And, it, and I thought it was amazing practice for causational temporality, which dance usually doesn't do. They usually use music, which right. I think is of as the true enemy. Music is the true enemy of dance. So I thought cooking helped me with the rhythm and the necessity of physical timing. You know, it's funny. I think I've told this story before on the show. My parents really encouraged me to learn how to cook from a very young age. So now that I have a kid, I think almost an irresponsible age, and I was allowed to like control dinner. and Get the fire. Right, yeah, like, here's the knives, here's the fire. Go to town, make a dinner. And it was totally normal that I would have the peas done in two minutes and then two hours later we would eat mashed potato or baked potatoes and they never like commented on it and it was just and I think that was so important in my learning that it was up to me to be like oh wait a minute I have to do this in a different order and getting it all to come together at the right time yeah it's it's crazy like the appetizers in a restaurant you know those dupes that come in Mm -hmm. like da 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 and then you have to link them with you know, the main course and the waiters, waitresses have to come when you ring the bell. Right. I it's mean, like you're an orchestra. like a, a wild, crazy person <laughs> in the kitchen. What yeah. restaurant was your most favorite in New York City? Well, I think my favorite was Charlie and Kelly's, which is on the corner of Perry and West Fourth, now okay. called Ambrose. It's not the same. You know, I also worked at Soho Charcuterie, oh, Gil- cool. Gil's Seafood. Uh, I worked at many different restaurants. That's exciting. I mean, yeah. I, I did the same thing all through college. I, you know, I worked, and that's sort of how I ended up going to culinary school at all, is I worked, and I just, it was always to make side money. You know, I was do, pursuing art. I was pursuing other things. And then at some point, I was like, why don't I do this to make money? Were you cooking? Were you cooking to... Uh, no, I was mostly in front of house. I mean, I was a waitress oh, okay. and a bus okay. kid, and I learned about wine, but it was always something I was doing on the side. And then I right. took this massive leap away from my training, which is in teaching, to pursue it full-time. That's beautiful. So how, uh, what was the moment when you were like, I've, I've made it, I'm making enough money from my focus of dance that I can leave behind the kitchen? Oh, let's see. Uh, well, action was always my obsession from mm-hmm. age three. So it was never, I didn't have a plan B. But I'd say, I mean, oddly enough, there were, it, it was in my mid-30s. Okay. It was way longer than, as you know, from being around dance, in the university or at large, that that's usually the moment when a thought goes through your head, oh, this isn't, maybe this isn't going to work out. Because I was way into my, but I had been choreographing through 20s and my 30s. And I, I just, you know, sometimes you just have to love what you're doing and not focus about the outside, the outside kind of wave of attention or non-attention or criticism, plus or minus, negative, positive. You have to just do your thing and hope that it'll work out. That's a, yeah, I mean, that is a huge sort of 
foundation, I think, in order to be a fundamentally happy person is just pursue what makes you happy. And Period. it can't be yeah. because you're, you know, you're getting a lot of accolades or you're getting, you know, everything's terrible and you have to quit. You know, you just find what it is. And, I, and tell me if you agree. I, I think everyone knows. I think there's everyone knows like there's a little tiny kernel, even when they think they don't know that they know, even if they're stuck in a cubicle. I mean, I know someone who I think they in the if they could truly follow their passion, they would be a blacksmith. A blacksmith. But everything around them, every person, every advertising, every wow. everything is wow. like, are you crazy to, to do that? I mean, I think that if you that that like everybody has somebody who might have said, do what you love mm-hmm. you, or, or at least notice what interests you. What when you're walking down the street grabs your attention. And for me, it was always action and broken machines or machines of any sort. And I think, well, what, what do you have to lose? Because we are all certainly going to pass away. And we so only have one go. We only have one go, as far as we know. <laughs> as far as we know. So, yep. d- yeah, do, do the thing you love the most. It'll, it'll be so critical. And probably you might invent something no one else had thought of. It's Yeah, that's true. And you'll just be like, you know, my, uh, my dad says, like, when the credit card rates fluctuate, if you don't have credit card debt, it doesn't matter to you. you know? <laughs> and I feel the same way about, like, yeah, like, I'm never going to get fired. No one's ever going to come and fire me because I work for myself. So <laughs> I, I could fire myself, but, like, I but, don't worry about my job security in the same way anymore. So. I mean, that's sort of I consider myself unemployable. I'm, <laughs> I'm 63 now, and I was, well, 22 when I started all of this. And I did work for these restaurants and did this other thing. But basically now it would be just, like, impossible for right. me to do that, you know, do anything for anyone but myself. And the business doesn't have to be practical. I mean, but that's like movement. real success. Like you've, you have like made it so that you are, and it's weird to say, you've made it so that you're unemployable and that's the <laughs> definition of success. But the truth is that you're so, you know, when any one person who finds themselves doing exactly what they love, you couldn't just plug that into another company. You know, like you couldn't find no. the right cubicle to fit into. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work like that. And also sometimes like I, I really had to fund my own practice from the restaurant work, but also 15, 20 maxed out credit cards right like i think for instance now i have very bad very bad credit rating because i maxed out all these credit cards for a long time mm-hmm. and i think well i'm willing to give that up but if i needed an extra five thousand chase or they'll city bank or they'll sure. give it to me and, <laughs> and i think that kind of fear that conservative fear that you'll embarrass your parents or that you will end up with bad debt well then you just find a really good friend who has good credit right we'll we'll feed you always a plan there's always a plan (laughs) no one's gonna yeah no one's gonna take i mean the joke is no one's gonna come and take away my cat you know like i don't have anything of any value that anyone's gonna take back but i think what's important i know something that i learned that was very important if you don't have the stamina for that uncertainty that there's always a place to get money so the excuse of well i i I can't be a dancer or choreographer because i just don't have the money my parents aren't wealthy there's money maybe in kind of outlawish crevasses <laughs> right. but you can get money for anything you love right so. that's that's a good lesson um what's your earliest food memory well i think my earliest food mem- memory was my mother used to make apple pies and i was pretty obsessed with baking from she taught me how to do that so they were gone one night and i just made an entire apple pie and it looked like 800 tons of flour had exploded in the <laughs> kitchen and sugar all over the floor but there was the pie and i just she was a little upset because of the enormous mess, but was so proud that I actually all by myself made that pie. How old were you? Probably uh, seven. Wow, that's, like that. that's super cool. And what's your favorite thing to eat? 
Oh my gosh. Pasta, I guess. Yeah. I love pasta. Um, how old were you when you started cooking the peas and the potatoes? So the, 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 the legend is that I, when I was old enough to see over the stove, I was allowed to start <laughs> cooking. Um, and I do have a memory of standing like next to the counter, like lifting up my nose and my oh. mother being like, not yet. Oh, that's <laughs> but from, beautiful. from a very young age. And the first thing I learned how to cook was French toast. Wow. And it's th- this kind of bittersweet memory because there was a moment of realization where as a kid, I realized like I wasn't, no one was going to make me French toast again. Not, and of course someone did, but in, like there was this sort of fundamental shift and like, now I make my own French toast. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and, and it was similar to the moment I realized I could read, which was on the back of a Cheerios box. Oh. And I realized I would never not be able to read again. Oh, and there was this moment so- of like, well, now I'm never going to not be able to see that. <laughs> I was a really deep kid. <laughs> no, that was deep. I mean, to have that noticement at that moment. And it's also that idea of really what is it that you notice at that critical time. Uh, that's pretty philosophical that you would notice that that was the end game. Yeah. And from then on, think of how free it would be if you didn't have to read every single sign, every right. magazine, just arbitrarily. Right. Or every headline or every like oh, everything Lord. that crawls across the bottom. Yeah. Of the TV screen. It's true. I. It would be a, a different, a totally different life experience. And, you know, the when I was, learned how to cook and learned how to make French toast, um, along with experimenting with timing and the potatoes, and I also, you know, learned about the music of cooking. Like, I can hear when a knife isn't sharp, or I can hear That's when great. onions are at a particular doneness in a pan. No. And there's no way to teach someone that. You know, like, you just have to do it long enough that it becomes, like, that rhythm becomes just part of your instinct, and you just know... I got to throw in the parsley or I got to pull that pan off the heat. And so I try to teach people that now, like, if it sounds like it's burning, just, it probably is. Just go ahead and pick it up. (laughs) I mean, that is so beautiful and there's no gauge, you know, there's no like measuring issue. And with what Streb does is we, we deal with forces. Mm -hmm. And for instance, we have an I-beam piece that we push and try and get to go, unless it's pushed to a certain quantum. Then the rest of the moves done when it got, gets set up by just spinning this I-beam hanging from a single hook. Right. Um, it doesn't work. It has no content unless the force is correctly huge. So I put a particular. link to one of the videos that is on your site on, on Sharp and Hot so that people who aren't familiar, or I guess I linked to it on the Facebook, however I was promoting that you were going to be on today. Um, how often in the rehearsal, so that, sorry, so that people could, who, if they haven't heard of Streb, can see exactly Great. what I'm talking about and why I'm obsessed with Thank uh, you. your work. Um, but how often are there accidents? Like how often do things go off the rails? Um, pretty often, you know, in our job with their perfect timing, the dancers, you know, if you count one, two, you're already a hundred times behind the action that's really happening on stage. Mm-hmm. So you have milliseconds to make your mind up if something goes awry. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other night, um, this last weekend, Daniel got too close to the I-beam when he was rolling off, and it just sliced <gasps> his fingers, like blood everywhere. I mean, you In think, the show? During the yeah, show? Yeah, during the show. And, so he was, and it bruised them, too. So you think, but the I-beam bore no semblance of having hit something. That's how, yeah. ra- that's how rapidly it, it, it happens, and you just have to not get too hurt. And does he, like, roll off stage, and then the other dancers just sort of... Yeah, the, show, the, hole the and, show keeps going. Yes, exactly. Right. Did and the then, audience know what happened? Um, I think you can kind of tell. You know, yeah. he's wrapping his finger and my other dancers and my stage manager come out. You know, it all has right. to happen and not stop the show. And I will say that your your theater is a big open space. So there's no there's no real backstage per se. It's all sort no. of available. Yeah. 
Elizabeth, I'm getting the word that we have to take a station break. Will you stick around? I'm get- They're making eye contact with me through the window. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. Um, will you stick around and answer a couple questions after the break? I'd love to. Awesome. Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie just for me? You're listening to Pumpkin Pie by the California Honey Drops on Heritage Radio Network. But won't you save it, baby? Please save it. Come on and save it all for me. Oh, won't you save all your cherry jam? Sharp and Hot is brought to you by the generous support of Le Creuset. Respect for tradition and authenticity has been Le Creuset's guiding principle since 1925. Yet, their innovative designs and exceptional quality ensure that they remain relevant today. The company began in 1925 when a casting specialist and an enameling expert opened their foundries at the crossroads of transportation routes for iron, coke, and sand. That same year, the first French oven was produced, laying the foundation for what is now an extensive range of cookware and kitchen utensils. Today, Le Creuset provides the finest quality stainless steel, stoneware, silicon, enamel on steel, textiles, and forged hard anodized aluminum, as well as the colorful line of cast iron cookware. Visit LeCreuset.com and shop the full line of cookware, stoneware, bakeware, kitchen tools, wine accessories, and more. Heritage Radio Network thanks Le Creuset for their generous support. Please don't give none away. Let it get sweeter by the day. But won't you save it, baby? Please save it. Come on and save it all for me. Welcome back. This is Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson. With me in the studio today is Elizabeth Strub. Streb, excuse me, action <laughs> architect. Sometimes reading, I like no, I write these things down so I don't do that. Uh, action architect and founder of Slam, the Streb Laboratory for Action Mechanics. Um, so we talked about your culinary background, and you asked me during the break uh, what my tr- what if that if the French toast was really my first food memory, and it's not. I actually ate powdered quick out of the can that my commercial fisherman father had left on the table and I was I know I was young enough to have crawled out of my crib I mean I was little (laughs) and I my mom came downstairs to see what was happening and there I was like eating this paste of chocolate and sugar and was it Nestle's it was Nestle with the rabbit on the top yep yep and we mailed away and I still have the spoon with the rabbit on the I still have I think it's still at my parents house but (laughs) delicious 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 artificial chocolate okay so the first question comes from uh, one of my listeners, Allison. Let's see if we can get this to play. 
No, Emily. No. There we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm here in Long Island, and I'm looking for a good place to eat. I have a lot of different people in my party, and I'm wondering if you could recommend to us a communal dining experience that we'll all get something out of. Let me know. Thanks. <laughs> so the technical glitches are just part of the fun. Of course, yeah. I don't really know what I'm doing, and you know, I love it. It makes it much more approachable. Accidents in action are the most interesting things. If everything was seamless, it wouldn't be nearly as like so dynamic. It's too, it's too antiseptic. <laughs> right, but exactly. It's too perfect. So Allison asks, which and I thought it was a good question for you because you travel with a troupe of dancers. Yeah. So yeah. how how does one go about finding a restaurant in an unfamiliar place that'll satisfy a number of different people's culinary requirements, like Kalamazoo? Yeah. Middle of the country. I mean, we travel with a tribe of maybe 20, 19, 20 people. The tech guys and girls, the dancers, and the management crew, and me. I'm sort of the solo flyer. Okay. Um, so the dancers, my company manager, Ann McDougall, does deep research in every city we go into. We're just about to go into six cities this, this winter, spring. And she will give them a whole list of every every restaurant that they that they might desire. And they'll either do some more investigation and find their own, or usually in that list, which is beautifully, there's a simple paragraph for every restaurant choice she makes, and they just sort of read it like food philosophy and make their decisions together. I want someone to do that for me. You want to come? Isn't that just outrageous? I totally want to come. Oh my gosh, she's spectacular. (laughs) So everyone eats together? Um, Mostly they eat together, but again, you know, for my company, it's always, I don't, they're not, now I'm 63 and they're in their 20s, so I'm their grandmother's age <laughs> and so for me it's better that i sort of separate myself from them you sure. know otherwise it's just work and they need to be off and go do what they're going to do and they're so professional you know right. that, that it's usually i'm just off kind of in my own little hermetic hole <laughs> thinking about things and they're off having a beautiful time and are you at like one of the other restaurants that are further down on the list that you like <laughs> coordinate all right you guys are going to chuck e cheese i'll go over here <laughs> well my manager tells me where to go. Where to go. because mostly it's just sensitivity i don't want them to feel they it's a different thing if their boss is there sure yeah you know, so. yeah is it weird to think of yourself as a boss no i'm very very proud of that i have serious payroll you know we have health insurance i'm there was a time that, oh, I just want to be an action artist, a choreographer. Why do I have to do this payroll, not-for-profit, you know, yeah. registration and all that? And then, you know, in the last five years, I felt just amazingly proud that I ha- keep people employed because of wild actions. I'm really, really happy to hear you say that a couple – you said it uh, before the break, too, that it takes time to make these things happen. And yeah. I know that earlier in my career, I felt like nothing's happening. It's not happening yet. And I had this impatience – and then I learned, I read a great book called The United States of Arugula, which is sort of the history of the celebrity chef. Oh. It's fascinating. Oh. Uh, really, really good sort of pop culture slash anthropology. Yeah. yeah. See if I get that author on. Um, but Julia Child didn't even start thinking about food until she was like 36. Interesting. I was like, I'm only 34. You're a baby. I'm You're baby. a baby. Man. Martha Stewart didn't start her catering company until she was 36. And nothing. You know, when you look at people who ha- have success come really, really young, yep. it takes a lot of internal strength to make that last a lifetime. I mean, I think it's a it's, it, it can be a real burden. And we say choreographers are late bloomers, mm-hmm. but to really keep coming up with ideas, you, mu- you want to just take your time. You don't want to rush into it. And sometimes yeah. the outside forces you to rush into it, and it's called success, but it can be a damning idea, really. And if you don't have the, like, 
sort of scope to understand like things come and go and there's going to be a season of success and a season of less success, then it yeah. can, be, I think, be really terrifying when it starts to go away. Whereas where you're at in your career, you kind of are like, yeah, you I've just gave through, a great shrug for the, the radio listeners. I've just <laughs> been like, you know, through everything. Like, I mean, I don't want to say there's nothing that could, you know, give me a major speed bump, but of course there is. And I hope it, I hope that doesn't happen, but sure. I like bumps. We like rough rides. Right, yeah. You rode a motorcycle to California. Yeah, foolish. So our second question, I was actually asked in person while I was um, at an event, and they, I, don't, I didn't write down her name, which is a shame, but it was a good question, which are, what are your top three food adventures that you've taken? So she was, in, she was looking for food adventures. Like adventures like... Uh, not like a food fight, though. But I don't think so. Like- I think she something that she could do too. You know, something that she could do that was like. So my first one is this weekend. I spent shooting for. I'm trying to build a some video presence on the internet, and um, I so I spent the day shooting, digging your own clams up, and then opening them and eating them raw on the beach. Wow, wow. Which I'm never happier. That is like. In my worst mood, if I can just like take myself there, either literally or just mentally, and just open a like pull a clam out of the sand, out of the mud, open it and eat it. Like there's nothing that makes me happier. And than that. To, well, and the other people, they're like, "Wait, you go and you get a clam out of the mud? And it's all dirty. <laughs> and it's dirty. How do you get that dirt like, out yeah, of there? And like that's like a food adventure. Like you have to drive. It's you know, it's not unless you live on a uh, salt. If you're lucky enough to live on a salt marsh. So that's my number number one top picking clams. That's your thing. That's my number um, one. We're really, I was really young, and my I, I was adopted and got brought up in a very working class family. So my dad hunted and fished, and okay. he taught me how to hunt and fish. And I mean, all day with your twenty two rifle in the snow up to your thighs. Awesome for so, deer. Well, this no, I I, I did uh, rabbits. Okay, and then fish, and to really that whole idea, and you know, he'd shoot anything, and then we'd have to eat it. Like he'd shoot <laughs> groundhog, and we ate turtle. Yeah, my and, dad always jokes oh about gosh. how many squirrels I've eaten. <laughs> I just like, uh oh, there he is. Oh, there's a groundhog. Okay, that's what's for dinner. <laughs> but I learned how to go out on my own and fish, and then clean the fish, and then cook them. And I think that there's nothing like that. You know, I mean, when you talk about that idea of what's fresh. Mm-hmm. Nothing's fresher than that. And it was exciting, although I know Pizza and all of those people would think I'm just a pugilist. But oh, yeah, I no. I've, I was innocent. Yeah, no, I, I feel like if, if I could get Pita to show up here, it would, I would be doing a good thing for my ratings. You would? You would. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I mean, the, and the truth is, I mean, if I could eat venison that was hunted every night, and yeah. that would be a far better use of the planet than farming. In order to sell venison in restaurants, it has to be farmed because you can't sell wild game. Why? Why? Because they can't control it. They can't control what, it. Yeah, yeah. There, it's a whole slaughter. It's mostly slaughterhouse regulations, mm-hmm. and it's a whole thing. But that you have that we're getting totally off track, but it's, <laughs> Not really. it's, it's really a, a, a bone of contention that I have with the food industry is that, that we dedicate land to raising deer when they have no natural predators, I used to live on five acres and there were 30 deer. I mean, I could look out my window and see 30 deer. And it's just like there's their only natural predator is a car, which more often than not takes out the driver too. It's just like very, very interesting. Yeah, mind no, blowing you don't want to hit one. You like, don't want to yeah. hit a, a deer. But my dad would go hunting for deer. Mm-hmm. We'd have a whole deer with and the then fur on it for, months. For, for, for all winter long in the freezer. And then we'd have gloves and moccasins and 
the deer hide. Like every part of the deer That's was used. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, my brother has been making um, taxidermied heads like the boar who's on the wall up above us. <laughs> he, so. he, he, he shot that boar? No, my brother did. Somebody did, I think. Oh. I, but not my Where brother. do you get those boars? I don't know. <laughs> I want to know. It, I'm, glad it's not a, I'm glad it's not alive. That's I'm all. glad it's not alive, too. But if you have the opportunity, wild boar is absolutely delicious. Is it really? Okay. It's really good. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you one other um, food adventure that I'm excited to share the information with people. In 2012, Jose Andreas, who is a sort of celebrity chef from Spain who has a show on PBS um, and a bunch of really amazing restaurants in Washington, D.C., he partnered with the National Archives and opened a restaurant in the space of his restaurant, Mini Bar, closed Mini Bar, and opened what was called America Eats. And partnering with the National Archives, he created a menu of the history of the country starting in the 1600s through food. So there were oysters and buffalo wings and um, key lime pie and cocktails and all of the stuff that's distinctly American. And then at the uh, National Archives, there was a show of food ephemera and recipes and like packaging. And it was so it was one of the best meals I've ever eaten. And I crashed a party by accident that he was at. And I was gushing to him about how amazing this meal was. And he looked at me. He was like, just just. To look at just take the picture because I was like, Can we have a picture? He's like, Okay, I don't <laughs> take a picture. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, I went on uh, their website today because I wanted to, I couldn't remember exactly what year it was, and I found out that it is being reborn. That restaurant is being reborn at the Ritz Carlton Tyson's Corners in McLean, Virginia, which I think is right outside of Washington, D.C. And I called them this morning, I was like, Is this really happening? And they're like, They're opening early next year, incredible. So, people have the opportunity to go to. America Eats, which was absolutely amazing. And until December 22nd, people in the New York area will have the opportunity to come see Forces and meet you. How do people find out more about you? Um, You can just go on www.streb.org and you'll find all the information. So there's five shows Thursday through Sunday. Come on over. Excellent. I highly recommend it. You will not be disappointed, Elizabeth. This has been totally a dream come true. Thank you for coming. Uh, Sharp and Hot is brought to you by the generous support of Le Creuset. You can always reach me on facebook.com forward slash Sharp and Hot. You can tweet me at Chef Emily P. Record your cooking questions at 862. Oh... Where's the number? <laughs> I didn't use it's it last so week. Last week we had a call-in. We had live call-in show. Um, yeah, I lost it. Go to sharpenhot.com. Oh, no, there it is. 862-242-8599. I'm in an era of not remembering phone numbers. I, I can't rem- I don't remember any phone Why would numbers you? anymore. Why would you? So, Just press the button. There's, uh, yeah, leave a message on the voicemail. Be fearless. Don't worry about what your voice sounds like. There's no such thing as a dumb question. As always, we air live on heritageradionetwork.org and next... Until next week, everyone, keep playing with fire and knives. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>